Yes, Christina, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, all right, cool, cool. I'm so glad. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gents, welcome to Abby Podcast. And um, before we get started, I just want to say thanks to everybody that's been tuning in to like season one all the way through season seven. And um, by the time you guys hear this, this will be season seven, um, episode 18. And um, I just want to give a shout out to all my folks, uh, all my alumni from Cal State Fullerton, whether you went there for your bachelor's or you got your master's degree there. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, to meet some colleagues when I, went to when I went to school out there and we've kept in touch since. And I'm, I'm super proud of this next lady right here that's been doing a lot of great work in the field of psychology and mental health. Um, she got her bachelor's and her master's in Cal State Fullerton and she's been a licensed um, marriage family therapist since 2015. She's the founder of Cultivate Calm Therapy and she's been in private practice since 2016. And she's done a lot of great work with um, immigrant and first generational issues and has worked extensively with trauma. And she's also trained in EMDR therapy. So it's not about me tonight. <laughs> Without no further ado, we got Christina Castrillion. I think I said that wrong, but Christina okay. Castrillion. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, Marlon, thank you for having me. What up, Christina? How are you? I am doing well. I'm excited to be able to chat today. Thanks for doing this, dude. I, I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how, how did you say your last name again? I don't want to mess it up. So, um, Castrillon, but that's hard to say. So you can say Castrillion. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, Christina, I ask all my guests, where were you born and raised? All right. So I was born in Medellin, Colombia, South America. I came to the U.S. when I was four, and I was raised in Southern California. Chino Hills, right? Yeah, Ontario, Chino Hills, predominantly. Yeah. Um, yes. You remember about the community of Medellin? Oh, <laughs> so honestly, I didn't really have too much memory. Um, when I came, I think most of my memories were in Southern California, but... Uh, it kind of started to come together for me when I went back for the first time when I was 13. And then I got to spend um, a summer there, really get to know my family and really get to know the city. And yeah. what I remember most was um, just how vibrant and fun um, the people were. Everyone had such a amazing spirit about them and just really loved um music, um, dancing, art, culture. And so it was just a really vibrant um, world to step into after being really pretty much raised here. And yeah, I would say that was kind of what struck me the most. Yeah. Um, do you know what prompted your mom and dad to like move you from Colombia to Southern Cali? Like what moved you to the country? Yeah. So I would say the main thing that was going on at the time was um, in Medellin, it was kind of a difficult period of time. We came in the late 80s. And so we're talking that's the time of the cartel and Pablo Escobar. That yeah. was all in the same city, kind of same um, neighboring uh, areas to where my grandmother lived, where we lived. And so there was just an escalation of violence going on. There was bombings going on and just a lot of uncertainty. So I know for my mom, she was really fearful of having two girls being raised in that type of climate. So we really did come because of um, the issues going on with the cartel at the time. And she just wanted us to be safe and have a better opportunity here. She was also going through issues within um, her marriage with my dad. And so I think it was just a way for her to kind of start fresh. And um, we landed here in Southern California because we had an uncle that had come a few years prior. And so there was somewhat of a connection to someone here. And uh, yeah, and then we came um, to Chino Hills and shortly after um, we're also in Ontario. So back and forth between Chino Hills and Ontario. What was your first impression of Chino Hills or, or Ontario when you, when you come here? Um, I would say, uh, what do I remember the most? I think for me, I was kind of, um, I remember my first impression was actually when we were um, 
in Miami, we are, our, our plane had stopped in Miami and I remember seeing a vending machine and really tripping out about that. I had never seen a vending machine before. Um, and so I remember that, I remember the cartoons and um, it just feeling so different. It was just such a different energy. Um, but yeah, then kind of settling down and in, in, in our community, I think it just was different in the sense that it was, um, more expansive i think that there was just more space it was less kind of congested it was more of a suburban area and mm. i think that was probably what kind of um i noticed the most somehow or any parts of her miss it like um mm. you know when she first moved out here or oh, was she yeah. just was it a sense of relief like oh you know what we're out of there we're, we're in cali we're gonna mm. start over no, it was hard for her. Um, she really struggled. She really was super close to my grandmother and really missed um, being near her and being her with her family. We we have a big extended family. She had a lot of siblings. and um, So I think it was really difficult in a culture shock. It was also hard not really knowing the language and being at a disadvantage um, with us not being documented for many years. And so it was a true struggle she kind of barely got acclimated um you know over time but even now really misses it and spends half her time in Colombia. so she'll stay a few months here and a few months there and she kind of goes back and forth now because she hasn't been able to shake um fully getting acclimated here for reals yeah it's been hard for her it's like as we get older we don't realize that the sacrifices that they made and feel it from their perspective huh? like damn you know like yeah. brand new country Yes, yes, it's humbling because I think about it when she came, you know, she was in her um, early 30s and I think about myself, you know, in, in my later 30s now, like what would it be like to totally move myself and my family to another country? I think that would be extremely difficult. Under it's humbling. Um, it was a huge sacrifice and I know one that she still struggles with. So um, I'm pretty grateful uh, for everything that she's done. As like the, the, the culture and traditions of Colombia, did mom bring that over with you and, and made sure that you guys kept that intact in, in the U.S. Um, just discipline or morals and attitude and values. You guys was raised in Colombia. Did she bring it over? A hundred percent. And she was like adamant about <laughs> us being raised with it, knowing it, knowing um, the yeah. artists and the music. And so she'd make us watch videos, listen to the music. Um, she really, really didn't want us to lose it. She also really pushed that we make sure we um, keep uh, Spanish. And so, you know, we were able to continue learning Spanish and, and being fluent in that. So yeah, she was really hardcore about it. She was extremely fearful, I think, of us losing that. And I really, as much as I resented it when I was younger, I so deeply appreciate it now. It was a really um, beautiful thing that she did. Hell yeah, it worked, you know what I'm saying? It did. Because like, we may not understand it then, but then the long run, they, it was the right way that they did it, how they did it, right? Absolutely, yeah. It wouldn't have happened any other way had she not been so adamant about it, you know? And so I know that I would have um, never got that education and she truly gave me that education. So I, I completely appreciate it. And you got work ethic, and I'm sure that was instilled by mom, um, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And seeing her work so hard here and holding two or three jobs at a time, um, just the hustle, I think that we learn in our culture and um, the the diligence to just make sure things are taken care of and be responsible and put the needs of our family first. And I know it can bring its disadvantages as well, but we're 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 getting the advantage of having learned that, and then also now growing up and deciding how we want to live our lives. You know, feel right for us. Like let's say like your junior high years. Were you the friend that everyone went to for advice or were you like the good listener or when did you start knowing that you have a gift <laughs> interesting yeah i don't know it's, it's hard to see it as a gift i guess but um you're right it is and 
I think that happened later in life for sure. I think I've always had a heart, you know, and really wanted to be in the helping profession. I didn't know to what capacity, but for sure, I'm definitely someone that holds space often for the people in my life and is trying to check in and cheer them on and and be there. And I think that that is a role I really played with my um, cousins and in my family and um, definitely with loved ones to a certain extent when I wasn't goofing off. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> so Christina so you graduate high school right in your mind what was the plan in your head that you were going to do and what actually ended up happening hmm. let's say your senior year what are you thinking what was your plan next yeah. so my plan was to go to college and I had applied to Cal State Fullerton I had gotten in and what ended up happening was I I somehow didn't receive um, some documentation or some notice uh, to turn something in by a certain deadline. So they actually dropped me after I had been accepted and I had to, I ended up uh, going to community college. So I ended up going to Chafee and um, uh, Fullerton uh, Community College and then transferring over to Cal State Fullerton. So I, I rerouted, but it actually saved me a lot of money and I had some cool experiences. But I finally made it there and I knew that I wanted to be in the helping profession. So I um, chose a human services undergrad. And then from there, I was just kind of trying to figure out like what specific direction I wanted to go in. And I took a class that you and I are both familiar with and it was very impactful, I think, to both of us called Character yes. and Conflict. Yes, yes. And in what that up, class, Stuart? Yeah, Stuart. And in that class, you know, we got to learn a lot about just kind of doing group therapy and being in community, holding space, you know. And so that really ignited something in me towards the therapy direction. And that's when I kind of knew and it all clicked and came together. I'm so glad Stuart has some part in like influencing you too. Yes. human services and the program that they had in Cal State Fullerton to me because I, I came in as a radio TV film um, mm-hmm. major and then okay. a couple friends committed suicide so I got depressed like my sophomore college right my second year and then I that urged me to switch from, from radio TV film to human services because I was I was curious yeah. about psychology and, and and you know like what was your first thoughts as, as you were taking these classes were you like oh shit like the bachelor's degree program is really what we're about to get into and, and it kind of like gave us a gist of what lies ahead in this field you know like right. <laughs> yeah it was it was a good gist of it and i think it was um like such a cool orientation to have and oh, yeah. i don't know it just kind of it just made sense it clicked it felt right it really resonated with my soul i think it really made me start to look at myself and really explore myself and um and then also really just be more curious uh, i was always curious about our psychology and what drives us and i think it just really um, made sense and so yeah it was such a cool experience and i think we got the chance to have like these really great um mentors and teachers and classes and cohorts i think our cohort and the folks in the human services um field were all kind of yeah. like-minded and deep-hearted yes. and I mean, it was just so special. I think we had a really um, special thing going on that really, I think, resonated and, and made us more and more sure of the track that we were on. For sure. Um, and then you went through your master's in Cal State Fullerton. Like, how can you describe the transition from from like completing this program straight to the master's? Like, did you take a break or did you go straight? I took, I believe, a year off and to try to get just some some finances um, in order and um, work a little bit more. Uh, But yeah, I took that year off and I went into the program and it was definitely different because I think our cohort and that undergrad and especially being a part of the, um, the associations and the groups that I was a part of in undergrad, I think I missed a little bit of that. It was different. It was getting to know a whole, mostly a whole new set of folks um, and teachers, um, professors actually. And so it was different. I had its own beautiful thing and flavor, but it wasn't the same. And so I think there was getting some acclimated to that. I, I really missed everyone from undergrad. And then from there you started like, you know, um, 
sorry what if your like licensing hours comes next right like yeah is that the hours how many hours did you have to complete for the master's program so um, you start the, the master's program and you start basically working towards your licensure. So you do a traineeship and I, I honestly, I'm blanking on how many hours you do during that traineeship. I think I put that far behind me, but you do a certain amount of hours that you start that you, you start kind of completing while you're doing um, the, the courses. And um, I started in a local community clinic in um, Santa Ana and started working yeah. with individuals and families there. Um, but yeah, that I, I also worked in Tustin Unified for a little bit. And then once I was done, I um, continued my, my tra- not my traineeship, but what's called internship hours towards your licensure. And I think in total, that's 3000 for the licensing. So that takes uh, a few years. You have to do, um, you know, different, phases of that so it's all um one-on-one individual hours so doing individual work or couples work family work children hours children and adolescent and then also supervision hours so it's pretty particular in what they need and getting that all signed off on and getting um, supervision for all the work you do so it's definitely cumbersome and then you study for the licensing and so it was its own next set of kind of hurdles in and of itself after the master's program let me ask you this, what was, what were the things you loved about it and what were the things that was difficult about it, like when you were doing this? <laughs> the licensing hours? Yes. Yeah, so uh, what I loved about it was I really got to try a bunch of different things um, that I maybe wouldn't have otherwise uh, because you are forced to kind of get a little bit of mastery in everything since the licensing is under such a big umbrella it's uh, marriage family you know uh, individual therapy Um, so I got a lot of cool experiences I got to work in community settings which were um, a really amazing education but it's also brutal yeah. in the sense that you don't, um, for traineeship, you don't get paid. Internship, you get paid very little. And so you're kind of just trying to figure out like getting by doing these hours while still working. And so a lot of times, you know, I was doing my master's working and doing traineeship hours. And so I just, it was a, a level of exhaustion I never want to go back to. You definitely can get burned out. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say probably those are some of the pros and cons. What would you do to keep motivated and like make make sure like like you you didn't give up and you, you didn't you know mm-hmm. like what kept you up and positive? Yeah, when when, the, when it was difficult. I think trying to find balance to be a yeah. human and have fun and still enjoy you know my youth. Um, was important but no I think it was just my hyper focus on the goal at hand you know I really wanted it I really did want to become licensed and just be able to have that autonomy at the end of of the struggles um, to be able to to practice in a way that felt right for me and uh, not have to work under someone if, if I didn't want to and so I think just keeping focused on that goal but definitely like trying to implement some some fun in between to relax from some of the stress. You have to, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, I know you've been in private practice since 2016, and um, tell me about like just the inspiration behind Cultivate Calm Therapy. Like, what made you start your own private practice, and like, yeah, what was that time in your life like starting it? Sure. So I. Um, started doing private practice in 2016 but I was under a group practice and so I wasn't fully on my own yet and I think being under a group practice really helped me kind of learn the ropes of what it was like to be in um in a private practice and kind of figure out you know like how the flow goes um how billing goes how paneling and credentialing goes all that stuff um and so that was that was a really good education in and of itself and um 2022 so last year I um, decided to just kind of branch out on my own and start Cultivate Calm and I think a big part of it was um, realizing that I can kind of uh, do it I was always scared I didn't want to run my own business I don't like all things business I uh, my brain doesn't work that way but I think um, going through the pandemic and realizing like okay I don't have to have an office I can do this virtually 
and moving out of state and getting licensed in a in a second state you know and so I practice in two states and so there was a few things that kind of gave me a little motivation there and um and that made me decide to just go for it and so I you know started uh, my private practice last summer and it's been going well and I've really been enjoying it it's been pretty neat and I've been blessed to have some really cool folks come my way and really um just kind of have the practice that I've always wanted to have you know and really just do it do it my way in a way that feels right and um yeah it's been it's been a neat experience I'm still learning the business side of it I'm still trying to get um okay with all of that fun stuff but uh but yeah I I don't regret it no doubt hell yeah um let me ask you this so the day that they announced the pandemic where were you and what were you doing when they said we're going to be closed on Monday well like (laughs) do you remember that day I remember I was working and I think I was kind of um, I had started to hear things on the news here and there but I'm not a big news person so I kind of like tuned it out and just thought it was another thing being sensationalized and I remember coming home from work that night and um, it becoming really real and having yeah. to figure out oh crap I can't see my my patients anymore and you know my office which I loved going to and really enjoyed like in person and having to just switch everything and so it was a little bit of panic to just figure out okay how's this going to work how's everyone going to stay safe um but I remember yeah I remember that night and um it's just I think we all kind of had this first time experience of the world shifting in a way we had never experienced it to be and so it was a lot of adapting but luckily you know figured it out and I was still part of a group practice at the time and they helped kind of guide us too on figuring out um you know a telehealth platform and just kind of switching all virtual um but it took a minute you know it took a shift I think both for clinicians and and clients yes I wanted to ask you know like I know the country has been through some shit like the past two three years and uh what did that do to affect the field of psychology and mental health and and therapy like what did that do for you guys and for your clients did it did it make life more ang- like anxiety like yeah would more people come to your aid come to your side <laughs> yeah so it changed it changed it tremendously i mean i think that a, a few big things happened so one yeah. thing was um everyone was kind of going through it and i think yeah. we started to see stress mental health rise more than ever and so a lot of people started to access service more than ever and at our group practice we were getting to the point where we were getting over 200 calls a day for people looking for um a therapist so i got extremely Ow. busy i took on way more folks than i should have and kind of burned myself out but it was kind of felt like all hands on deck type deal it kind of really felt like crisis mode for a while you know and that that was for the first couple of years yes. and so i worked a lot and had a lot of folks in need Um so that was one thing. I think also another thing was switching to um virtual. It's the first time in our field that we had really um been able to do virtual as as commonplace before it was always in person. Once in a while you might do a phone call or something like that if someone couldn't make it, but that wasn't the regular. And so the virtual thing also made it that people just started to be able to move around. And so be that clients or clinicians, we kind of saw people starting to move around and have more flexibility in their ability to access services and people who might be in more rural areas started to access services, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um so that was another thing and then i would say i think that it also caused the eruption of starting to see mental health being talked about on uh, tiktok instagram just kind of social media platforms and really um started we started to see kind of this wellness wellness trend that we're seeing now and still it's continued which is cool and i think it's destigmatizing mental health and seeking out therapy big time so there were some big shifts Does, does the connection when you don't see them in person no more do you feel kind of awkward or this or this is not matter you know what I mean yeah at first i really missed it um cuz i i'm a i'm a person that i pick up on people's energy so i love to see what someone in 
feels like, right? And see what the energy feels like and pick up on that that stuff. So I missed it a lot. Um, but honestly, I ended up getting really used to it. And I loved being at home and being next to my dog and being able to, um, you know, go walk to the kitchen to, to make lunch. And so the ease also came with it as well. And um, I ended up keeping it. I never went back to in-person after the pandemic hit. And I never thought that that would happen. Um, and so it actually has worked out well and I figured out still how to just um, be in tune and hold space with people virtually. Um, for all those tuning in, um, if you can break it down, what is EDMR therapy? So it is a type of therapy that is used um, to kind of stimulate bilateral um, stimulation in the brain. And uh-huh. the premise is, is that basically it can help people um, process differently than regular talk therapy and a lot of studies show that it's pretty effective in helping bring down PTSD and working with incidents of trauma and crisis working with blocking beliefs because it's helping someone instead of in talk therapy you're usually talking about what's conscious what I, what I know to be true what I can storytell what I can narrate but um, EMDR really helps you kind of go into um, tapping into some unconscious stuff and really rewiring and reprocessing the brain in a different way. So it's a very, it's got its own style. You have to be trained in it. Not all therapists do it and it's pretty effective. So um, I've been using that for, you know, some years now, I think I two or three years now that I've been trained and it's been really helpful. It kind of is just a different thing that can be added on um, outside of talk therapy to, to just kind of go a little bit deeper and it's neuro- neurologically based in essence. Yo, that's awesome. Um, I think one of the coolest things you do and, and highlight it is um, your work with the issues of, um, you know, the, the immigrants, children, just the immigration issues. Like, what can you say? What are the needs of, of those who are, who are like stuck in, th- in these beliefs that would. How do you work with that, Christina? Whether it's from the Filipino community, Hispanic communities, uh, Asian communities, what are they coming in with, you know, that you find the most common with all of us immigrant children? Yeah, I would say there's definitely a lot of commonalities. It's helpful (laughs) for me, you know, being an immigrant myself and having some of the same issues. So I relate to it and resonate personally, which is helpful. Um, and understand it on a deeper level but I would say oh a ton of things but I'll give you maybe like some of the the main ones that I see Um, so issues with uh, generational issues with parents and so our parents having a different landscape a different understanding of let's say mental health of um, self-care of uh, boundaries and communication and so we end up having a lot of issues with our parents or extended family and yeah. often feel really stuck between our identity of we are we have our identities we love our roots but we have also had to assimilate and we also are a little bit you know western and american because we were raised here and yeah. so sometimes that clashes right and so yeah. it creates some issues with our family and dynamics i think that i see also a lot of themes of um, guilt and sense of responsibility and duty and yeah. so really wanting to show up and do right by our families and our culture but again being torn between how much you know when when is enough enough what you know what can i can i set boundaries can i say no to something um and so i would say probably some of those are some of the main ones and and trying to maybe unlearn some of things that may be toxic and may not be healthy or right for who we are now and how the times are now um a lot of sometimes with the generational issues it's coming a lot of distorted um, conservative roots or really um, colonialized beliefs and I think some of us now are having the luxury of saying what if we don't buy into that what if that doesn't fit for us and we have a different belief or identity um, and so that can boil down to differences in, in beliefs thoughts politics and so you name it there's just a ton of things that we often encounter that we have to figure out and sift through and um it, it you know it can be a lot for folks while they're also trying to just live life and life is stressful and difficult oh yeah like the world was rapidly changing in the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s and it was such a different world from where our parents came from 
But at, at the same token, though, I can't blame them for kind of feeling that way because honestly, Christina, the world's changing rapidly now. <laughs> and for the mm-hmm. for the for the for the people that are parents now, the the world that that the kids are living in now wasn't even the same world we were living in 10 years ago, right? Like that's true. It's it's, it's changing true. all the time, and I, I do feel like no matter how much our parents loved us they couldn't do nothing to stop from the world from changing yeah. like <laughs> and I mean if, if you brought us to America I thought I, I and I we, I love what they did for us right for sure right. but I think they forgot that this is America too and this <laughs> is where you brought this is where you brought them yeah. at you know what I mean yeah. like yeah there is going to be a lot of change with that yeah and that's hard for them you know but I agree with you I I really do have a lot of um respect and reverence that it must be tremendously hard for them you know because it's so hard to keep up with the changes and this is such a different world and a different way of being raised um it's hard and and they're they mean well you know but I, I think it's just like how do we find a middle ground that's the name of the game extensively with trauma and stress and anxiety like uh, what did the pandemic do for, for the population you know you know what I mean like I'm sure all that was like increased right or absolutely yeah I think that we're we're seeing a lot more um so you if our macro if our environment is really going under a lot of scrutiny a lot of change there's a lot of stressors a lot of fear what does that do to someone on a micro scale? And of course they're bound to feel it and it's going to affect their day to day and their internal world and how they process things. And so a tremendous amount of anxiety and um, stress. Um, also, you know, unfortunately, unhealthy coping and substance abuse, alcohol use. Um, I think great. people are just trying to figure it out. Right. And sometimes, you know, um, that that comes in in good forms and sometimes not so great forms and so it's really created I think a pressure cooker for everybody you know I think everyone's felt it to some degree and unfortunately those who are more marginalized and um, more um, issues with adversity and like finances low income um, you name it, it it really can affect them more so than other people who might be more cushioned so it affects our our communities in, in different ways, but everyone's affected to some degree. What did you learn about yourself during the pandemic when we had like a year and a half of a uh, of uh, canceled? <laughs> Everything was like, mm-hmm. how were you dealing with anxiety or pressure or anything, Christina? Like, yeah, yeah. it was hard. It was a big shift. You know, I yeah. honestly was not used to sitting put, and yeah. so for me, that was big to get out of that kind of like go, go, go mode. I mean, I guess I ended up doing that with work. Um, and, uh, I didn't have the same outlets, you know, I was used to being able to go out, you know, go if I wanted to go have dinner and see loved ones and get my outlets. I didn't have that anymore. So I really had to figure out, um, what I can do and really get better about that because I was starting to get burned out with the amount of stress I was, you know, and work I was doing, um, at the time. And so, I, I became more clever of skills and um, and also uh, really learning to slow down and to be okay and be comfortable with being um, more sedentary. I think that's something we we're used to a lot of distraction and I think it made a lot of us really pause and feel our feelings and experience our experience and even though it was hard, I think we maybe needed that to some extent. Yeah. Just your whole journey in your career. Um, how much schooling did you have to go through or undergo? Like, how much therapy did you have to do, Christina, within all this? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I've done therapy on and off throughout yeah. the years. And yeah. so, you know, part of it is they really recommend it for us, of course, to do your own therapy and know thyself if you're getting into becoming a therapist, which is definitely yeah. important. Know what it's like to be the client and to really have done some of your work. And so um, I, I kind of started that earlier on in my journey and I've done it on and off um, as I've needed to. But 
No, it's been important, you know, because at the end of the day, we're humans and there's typically a reason why we go into the helping profession. A lot of us are wounded healers and have gone through a lot ourselves. And so we need to figure that out as well. And of course, there's no perfect and there's no figuring it all out. Um, but, you know, the, the, the more we can really understand ourselves, I think the better we can help others and the more clear we can be to hold space for other people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been cool. I, I really think that it's, everyone deserves to do some therapy and to get that like understanding and education on themselves. What would be your advice for all those who are um, in the master's program in Cassie Fullerton? Any, any tips for them? Oh man, um, try to slow down, you know, yeah. and take it in. Um, I think a lot of times for me, it was like just trying to complete things and, and get the best grades and all of that. And I wish sometimes I just took it in a little bit more, remembered certain things, um, worked on, um, you know, those relationships and with my cohort, with professors, and um, just know that it's, you know, it's okay to to slow down, to take care of yourself, to find balance. It doesn't have to be perfect, um, but you're learning, you know, and it's it's a beautiful thing to be a learner and be all in as much as possible. It goes by quickly. And um, yeah, I, I miss that period of time as hard as it was. I really do miss that period of time and um, really value it. For all those starting in private practice, what would be your advice for them? or any mm-hmm. tips for them? Sure. I would say um, get a good community that you yeah. can check in with to do consulting or to learn a little bit more about business things that you may not be aware of. Um, learning about, you know, how to um, prepare for taxes, how to work on, um, you know, creating your business and keeping it running and, um, you know, dealing with your finances. and. So yeah, just kind of seeking as much community and as much um, expertise as possible. You know, it's it's really important to not just um, do it all on your own. And it's it's important to, to know that there's support systems out there. There's great podcast on it. Um, Selling the Couch is a wonderful podcast um, that teaches people the ins and outs about private practice. And um, some of my, you know, groups that I do some consulting with are super helpful. And so yeah, it's just, you know, stay connected. Don't don't be an island. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask, you know, like, there's been a lot of mass shootings in 2023 so far when this year started. Like, I think there's, to, to be honest, I think there's one every week for real. Like, what's your thoughts on, on what's going on with the country and gun control right now? Yeah. Issue. I just want to see, like, What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think, you know, as we were talking earlier about, like, we're seeing um, issues arise more on a macro scale and we're having more pressure. You see it arise on a micro scale. So I do think we're seeing people um, have more issues with not knowing how to deal with their stress or having mental health issues. I think it, um, you know, that's one component of it where we see ramifications and vibrations on an individual level. But I also think it's um, unfortunately issues with gun control. And I do think that we need to be a little smarter about how folks get access to these things and these weapons um, and that it, you know, not be sensationalized. I know that a lot of it, you know, some folks may not even be necessarily dealing with mental health. I know often we, we blame it as, you know, someone had a mental health issue, but not always. Sometimes. You know, there's there's narratives out there, there's groups out there that really portray a lot of hate, that really make it um, seem as though this is this is the way to do it, um, and to take it out on other people. And so I think it's just also a product of there's a lot of hate out there, there's a lot of evil, and we need to be really careful about what kids see and understand about themselves, about other people. Um, that is unfortunately impacting this stuff too so it's pretty complex you know and i think mental health is one part of it but it's not the only component and i wish we would hear and see more about that on the news because i think it often gets really scapegoated um and you know just blamed on someone with mental health 
also please watch it. Two opinions is bad for mental health too. My mm-hmm. gosh, man, like not enough good news, but there's definitely some ridiculous, crazy news out there that they're gonna put up in blast. Yes, yes. I, and I, it, it creates a I, lot of fear. It, yeah, absolutely. it does. Yeah, uh, absolutely. What are some of your sh- short-term goals for the rest of 2023? Okay, so um, I think for 2023, I really want to continue to work on my business and think about... Um, if there's any other things I want to do outside of individual therapy, any other types of offerings or women's groups, things like that. I also really am interested in becoming um, certified in, um, you know, psychedelic assisted therapy. That's something that's really piqued my interest. And I think it's going to be the next wave of healing for folks and kind of going back to some of those ancestral roots. And so I'm, I'm looking to learn more and continue my training and understanding of it. So let's talk about the psychedelics, Christina. What what made you get interested? You know, yeah. <laughs> so I think that um, you know, for a long time, I have always been interested in plant medicine. I think that um, my understanding of it is coming more from a, an indigenous practice. When I turned thirty, I had the itch. And yeah. I went to Peru with my mom, and we ended up doing. Um, uh, San Pedro, which is a derivative of ayahuasca, kind of like a cousin of ayahuasca in um, oh, wow. in Peru and with a shaman. And so that was my first kind of experience doing major plant medicine ritualized kind of. And um, I had always been curious in my 20s. I've done more of it in my 30s. And I have really felt and understood the benefits of it. If we are um, looking at of psychedelics it is seen as uh, medicine it's seen as sacred it's not done recreationally the way that we know it to be true here in the United States um, and it's always been used for you know thousands and thousands of years as healing in our communities and it was done to help people um, either heal something they might be going through or just further explore their consciousness and connection to um, the universe and the divine and so um, I'm really looking at understanding and honoring the indigenous part of it I know that it's also becoming more mainstream and we're hearing more about it in the mainstream, which is great because I think it can still be helpful. I just hope we can still honor the roots and not um, fully westernize it. But um, what we're seeing now with it becoming more mainstream is that we're starting to see a lot of funding go into research for psychedelics. Um, John Hopkins University and other major platforms have gotten a tremendous amount of funding to start to study and do a revival. We saw a little bit of this in the 60s, but it got shut down. I think we're getting kind of a revival of that to see, okay, how does this work? How can this heal people? Let's look at the brain. Let's look at the response when we're talking about um, PTSD and then doing brain scans and all of that. So um, mushrooms, cyclosilbin, uh, ketamine, um, and, uh, you know, other things, MDMA, a lot of other stuff that they're starting to look at to see, okay, how can this help folks in their mental health? And what we're seeing is studies of positive response, activation in certain parts of the brain that maybe hadn't been active or had been damaged because of mental health, um, wow. increased neuron uh, connectivity, um, and just healing of the brain, um, actual like lobes itself. And, um, it's just been really cool. I recently did a training on it and, and learned a little bit more about how ketamine is really helping folks with PTSD and depression, anxiety, um, panic, OCD. And so it really just made me want to, um, just get, you know, hopefully get certified because the point is, is if we're not doing this recreationally, if we're looking to get this as a form of treatment and medicine for folks who maybe have tried medicine and it hasn't worked or don't want to do, um, standard medication, um, that it be, of course, with a doctor, um, prescribing a certain amount that is reasonable for that person looking at their history and what they know to be true about their health. 
um, yeah. along with a therapist who's also going to help them guide them to be introspective and to go through you know maybe um, refocusing some negative thoughts and beliefs and uncovering things and so I think that therapists will also you know be very helpful in this and and, and it's why I'm looking to get certified so that um, maybe it could just be something else to help and another arsenal you know and part of our toolbox so yeah I think it's exciting I, I we're starting to see places um, start to legalize it I know Australia has um, uh, Canada you know other countries and we're gonna start to see it m- more and more legalized within the states there are certain states that um, have legalized and I think we'll see that come up and it'll be another form of um, you know kind of short-term medication for people who maybe want to deal with chronic issues or issues in which they haven't um, gotten a, a good response to medication and maybe have been on depressants for a long time antidepressants yeah. but haven't seen a positive response um, so yeah yeah I'm excited about it I think it's going to be great uh, for the mental health field hell yeah um, let me ask you you know like as far as uh, depression and um, for all those who are struggling with like suicidal thoughts um, from your experience like what what kind of factors that people get led to this state like depression suicide and what do what does society need to learn about depression and suicide yeah yeah it's important you know and I know you mentioned earlier that you you had lost two folks close to you and it's really hard I think it's yeah a really difficult thing to experience on a lot of levels and um it, we need to understand that depression is a disease and um, that, you know, depression really can happen uh, genetically. It can be something someone's predisposed to and really something that no one chooses to have depression. We, I don't think anyone wants to feel that level of pain and we need to really see it as the disease it is and understand it a little bit more, understand what's going on with um, the lack of production of serotonin or absorption of serotonin and what's happening with the neurons in the brain and why um, start to deactivate in certain parts of the brain when we're depressed. And so I think becoming informed and getting educated on it so that there is then less of a stigma to say that we're depressed and get help or not be judged when we do want to get help to really see it as medical because this truly is medical. Um, and then uh, being able to really look at, yes, suicidality happens a lot. When you've got such a severe level of depression that your body is not functioning at the level it needs to, it's not producing what it needs to, you're going to feel a complete deficit and that's going to impact your functioning. That's going to impact the way you think, the way you see the world. And um, it can really distort that reality for someone to the point where they really believe that they no longer can be here. And to me, that's just a, a, a very severe amount of about the technical difficulties no worries um so yo we were talking about just with depression and people struggling with suicidal thoughts and what the society needs to learn about this you know because it's been prevalent too with with the pandemic and all that yeah absolutely i think we um really just need to continue to educate ourselves and understand that this is a disease and um, stop really being in a space of judgment and critique over it just because someone may not understand what that feels like. I think um, that stigmatizing of depression really holds people back from saying something, um, from really reaching out, from talking to loved ones, from getting professional help. And the more we can stop creating those barriers and the more access to help and support we can provide, I think the more that we can really help folks from believing that that's their only option and really helping them feel um, like there are options and there are people who care about them and being able to just have more open discussions and um, systems in place in our society that are there to help people. Um, so we've got a long way to go with it. You know, I'm hopeful we can hopefully get there. Um, but yeah, I think a big part of it is just breaking that stigma. For sure. 
and to all those who are tuning in, when when Christina said community, I also feel like community is needed so much right now in this country. Um, yeah, I think sometimes people are scared to reach out for help. I think sometimes people don't even feel like there's a community for them to go to, and but there is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and last but not least, I wanted to ask, uh, as far as um, spirituality and um, self-care, how important has that been in your life and in your career, Christina? Like, I'm sure you gotta have some level of spirituality to to do this work, because I guess. How do I say this, man? I I don't know how you do it. Like, for example, if I if I if I was a therapist. And somebody was telling me some shit, and I'm super triggered. And I got a one-hour session with this person. And I'm triggered the whole time. Like, fuck! How do you recover? Because, because you got work again the next day. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, and wow. oftentimes the next hour. You know, when you go back to back. The next hour. <laughs> the next hour, right? You're triggered, yeah. and you're not done with your job. You can't clock out yet. You know, like. Yes. What? How? How important has that been in your life? In your career, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's been tremendously important because I think、um, if you don't know how to keep a good balance and take care of yourself, your spirit, your soul, your needs,、um, it's really hard to pour from an empty cup, you know, and and to give what you don't have. It's nearly impossible, and so I think we need to be really mindful of.、Um, Our own self-care, our own integrating all the things that we preach to our clients, and really like walking the walk. And、um, for me, it's definitely having you know my spiritual and kind of like soothing、um, rituals and techniques. And you know, I usually will start the day off with something and try to put myself in a good mindset. And if I need to,、um, you know, when I do get a break to decompress or after work to decompress, a lot of times. It's talking to folks all day, holding space all day. So maybe a little alone time. Maybe not talking, right? Maybe、um, getting some time to go outside and take a walk, and just the things that really soothe my soul and kind of calm my energy.、Um, I think with spirituality, it's pretty important for me because I think that it really integrates my belief system behind. Do I believe in change? Do I believe in good? Do I believe that、um, there is something holding us, you know, bigger than this human experience, which can be so difficult and so filled with trauma and negativity? And、um, you know, I was raised religious. I'm not. I'm no longer religious,、um, but I am spiritual. You know, and I do believe that there's there's a purpose to this all, and I do believe that we all have,、um, you know, a spirit and、um, connection to the divine that we can cultivate if we if we if we feel that 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 is the case. But I respect that not everybody does, and so I think it's kind of just finding what that means to each person of like what is your purpose and what what do you believe in, and and、um, for me it's just. Making sure I I do my stuff to take care of me because if not I definitely get burned out. I definitely feel、uh, a lot of compassion fatigue and、um, it can it can be hard. So I I learned the hard way, especially through the pandemic,、um, that I have to just carve out that time and be really diligent about it throughout throughout the week or definitely on the weekends of putting in some rest and and some relaxation. Making sure you guys support it. Circle, right? I would imagine you need you need a circle of、uh, good friends and supportive friends and understanding friends, you know,、oh, and、time. supportive family. Yeah, yeah. What you do, right? Yeah, we we thrive in community. You know,、um, you know, back in the day, and in, in in our cultures, we're really collectivistic. We really come from, you know, tribes, communities.、Um, You know spaces in which it it takes a village, and I believe in that. I don't think we're meant to do it all alone. I I don't believe that this Western idea of just kind of you know you 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 bear it, you knuckle it, and you just kind of do it all on your own. That doesn't work, you know. And I and, and that's unfair. And I think that it limits our resources and it limits、um, validated, uplifted, assisted. So yeah, community is huge for me, and I I really couldn't do it without without mine. About is to know thyself because in this country built off capitalism,、yes. when 
when, when, the, when the pandemic stopped everything, yeah. I think Americans suffered not so much because we lost money, but I think a lot of us were losing our identity because if we don't work, then what are we? Exactly. Like we, we, we didn't know what to do with ourselves with all this time. And I don't know why that scared Americans, but it did. It, it was right like yeah yeah i agree and i and i do agree that it's because we right. are very um capitalistic we're yeah. taught that um you know Jeez. our sole purpose yeah. exactly is like work make money make something of yourself um and it really has stripped us of figuring out our identities and our spirit and what makes us happy and what we need in order to thrive on on a deeper level and so as hard as the pandemic was i think it really gave us the gift of that introspection and really um, stopping and dealing with some of the things that maybe we hadn't been dealing with of really learning and getting to know ourselves on a deeper level so I do believe that it also served some some good purposes for us in that sense. For sure. And, and we, you know, the country's getting through it slowly but surely. We got through it. And um, for the first time, I mean, I was always aware of death, but death felt real and super close. Like, it was like anybody can get it and anyone could pass away just like that. And um, what I found out is at the end of the day, Christina, like, doesn't really matter how much money we make or we made it, it came down to are we healthy that's all it came down to like yeah. are we gonna are we gonna live are we gonna be alive are we gonna be okay you know yeah it's something that i think we often take for granted right and it should be number one on our on our brain and on our list of gratitude that we wake up each day and we we can be healthy and we can take care of ourselves i think when things like that happen we realize how little control we have and um, we have to really learn how to get control in the right ways and be proactive and take care of ourselves and come from a space of gratitude and um, honoring our bodies and our needs. And so, yeah, big time. It, I think it shifted a lot, but we, maybe we needed that. See, woman, I promise I'm going to leave off with one question, all right? I sure. know, I know you're, uh, you love music and um, it's the 50 year anniversary of hip hop uh, this coming summer. And speaking of community, as far as like the hip hop artists and the, the hip hop community, what is our responsibility to the community? And are we doing a great job serving the community? Are we, are we setting a good example for the kids right now? Mm. What's your thoughts on hip hop music in 2023? Mm. That's deep because music has transitioned, particularly hip hop has transitioned so much in these 50 years, you know? Yes. And I think for me, it's like, I'm pretty old school and I love a lot of <laughs> the original roots, right? And um, so now there's a lot of new stuff out there and I don't know if I'm just getting old or I'm just seeing it differently. I'm, right. I, I'm missing some of the soul. I'm missing some of the depth. I'm missing some of that community that I felt we had um, with other collectives and periods of time within hip hop. But I would say, you know, I think we need to just continue to show up in ways that are authentic and true and really talking about what's going on within the community. That's always what served the community best. And I think especially for the BIPOC community, for black folks and people of color is really being honest about what people are facing. Um, and I know, a lot of the original hip hop spoke to that, you know, it was really a lot of poetic formation around what was happening for people true and true in these like, you know, low income areas and being a person of color and being persecuted and all these things. And so I think as long as we keep telling stories about that and we keep seeing artists, you know, speak to that, we we will continue to address that. I think Kendrick Lamar does a great job at it. Yes. He really brings up a lot of themes. Um, yes. I've also, you know, Jay Cole did an album where he talks so much about mental health, you know, and that's yeah. something we don't talk enough about, especially for black men. And so, you know, I love when I can hear artists be real, talk about the issues. And I think that that's what the community needs because it's it's one of the sure shots way for that information to get out there and for people to feel validated and seen when those conversations often aren't happening. Um, and so, you know, just for the transition that hip hop is having, I hope we can go back to some of that. Um, yeah. I love that some people are staying true to that. Um, you know, I don't get the, the glamorizing of just like, 
the money spending and the girls and like this or that that doesn't to me like really deal with a lot of what's fully going on it's a glamorizing of hip-hop but you know i guess to each their own but yeah i'm old school in that sense yes yes because and 50 is still fairly young i think that's still yes. prime time there's so much more room to grow and we can't let it die you know the fact that we reached 50 i think we got to make sure it reaches 75 I'm sure of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure of it. I don't think it's anything that um, we'll see go out. You know, I think it's true and true a part of the culture and a lot of uh, a beautiful form of expression and creativity, which is always so healing. Um, So, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens, you know, in the years to come. The next 50, right? Exactly. Yo, Christina, thank you so much for doing this. To To all my folks who tuned in, I'll definitely leave the website for Cultivate Calm Therapy and the Instagram um, on the page description. And Christina, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Do you have any announcements for the people out there before we get off? Um, no, I would love to, for, to connect with folks online. I'm um, mostly just on Instagram, but yeah, you can find me at Cultivate underscore calm. Um, and I always love connecting with people. I've met a lot of cool people. Um, online and I just thank you Marlon thank you for what you're doing and all your efforts in the community um, appreciate it and appreciate your time oh uh, thank you all right Michelle I'll get you back all right all right bye Marlon peace peace